This is The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight, San Jose's first nonprofit news organization dedicated to independent political and business reporting. I'm your host, Editor Nick Preciado. San Jose is expecting to build tens of thousands of homes in the next eight years and has plans to change its approach in order to accomplish that goal. Referred to as a housing element, this plan outlines the city's housing needs and possible locations for new homes, as well as constraints to increasing the housing supply. The state requires an update of this plan every eight years, and this latest update needs to be submitted by January 31st, 2023. Here to talk with me about this plan and the city's approach to housing are Sandy Perry, president of the Affordable Housing Network of Santa Clara County, and Matthew Reed, director of policy for Silicon Valley at Home. Welcome to the show, you two. Thanks. Great to be here. So uh, first question, uh, there's a little bit of a preface to this. So this latest housing element says 62,000 homes or actually more than 62,000 homes will need to be built in the next eight years. That's about double the city's goal for its last housing element cycle. Uh, During the last cycle, the city was able to meet its goals for market and above market rate housing, but not its targets for lower and moderate incomes. So I, I wanted to gauge your thoughts on the city being able to reach this goal. Uh, given that it's larger than the last one. Sandy, let's start with you. Well, uh, I guess that requires uh, understanding the whole housing element process. I've been around for a long time, so I get a little cynical. I tend to look at the whole housing element process as a, a ritual or an exercise to make it look like the state and the city actually care about our housing crisis. And uh, a lot of promises tend to be made. Uh, There's no intention of carrying them out. And if you look at the performance records, they actually are not carried out, especially when it comes to uh, the promises and goals around affordable housing. And among the goals around affordable housing, the one which they meet least is the one of greatest need, which is the extremely low income category. I believe in the latest report, progress report on the old housing element, it says they reached 9% of their goal for extremely low income housing units. And that's, that's uh, pathetic. It's, it's just shows a complete lack of seriousness. And uh, I think it's important for us to understand that San Jose has no intention of solving its housing crisis or even improving it. And the plan is actually to make it worse. If you look at the general plan, uh, it's called whatever it is, San Jose 2040, the San Jose's general plan, which they state that their, their actual goals are to add 382,000 jobs by 2040, but only 120,000 housing units, if they can even add that many. And the performance on the, on the uh, arena goals, the, the performance on the housing element indicates they won't even reach those goals. But if you have flood the area with jobs and the housing supply barely increases or stays the same, the rents are gonna go through the roof. And actually, if you analyze the figures in the general plan, it shows that the plan is actually to have 400,000 people be displaced from San Jose. And they're doing a very good job of that over the last several years uh, since this plan was adopted. And uh, there's uh, tens of thousands of people that are being displaced from Santa Clara County in the San Jose area. And uh, it's just created a, 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 a monstrous housing crisis. Yeah, I, um, I, I, <laughs> so this is my first rodeo with the housing element. And so I, I'm going to acknowledge that uh, 
Sandy has experience that I don't have. Uh, but let me let me comment directly on on the question. Um, the this process is really to plan for growth, and so it it really is not an expectation that these units have to be built. The city doesn't really have control over what gets built and what doesn't. Uh, it is a question of whether or not they've done the work that needs to be done to create the opportunity for this growth uh, that is necessary. And Sandy is absolutely right. Um, we have historically done a very poor job of um, achieving even the earlier goals, which were significantly lower. So we are looking at this as a potential opportunity to elevate some of the solutions, some of the tools to shift somewhat the priorities um, in the city and in cities around the county to acknowledge the challenges in a, a more explicit way. The process is intended to kind of confront the hard stuff and then figure out what we need to do uh, to, to be ready to do better. In general, we are not reaching the bar um, as, as cities throughout the county and even San Jose is really falling short of the expectations. Nonetheless, we feel like it's open and important discussion and some of the things that Sandy mentioned about priorities and acknowledging funding gaps. And this is elevating a lot of these issues to the surface in a way that we don't generally do collectively to, to, to confront the challenges. So I don't think we're going to hit the goal. I'm more optimistic about the value of this process of, of being able to, to generate more, more tools and, and a different kind of recognition of, of what it's going to take for us to do better. Mm, thank you for that, both of you. That was a good overview. Now, let's break this down a little further. Uh, the city is aiming to do a few things with this plan. Uh, they've broken it down to essentially three things. They're looking to subsidize affordable housing. They're looking to place projects in areas that are equitable and properly zoned. And they're looking to speed up the permit process. So let's start with this financing of affordable housing first. The, the city has said it's difficult to get affordable housing built because those types of projects are difficult to finance. And that almost all of affordable housing in the area needs tax credits and bonds to get built. So in order to address this, the city is planning to create more loan programs for affordable housing and give more generous loans to developers who would build in more expensive places in San Jose. On top of that, there's also funds from 2020, uh, sorry, 2020's Measure E, as well as in-lieu fees from developers uh, that they're required to pay if they don't build affordable housing. So I I'm just curious if you think that these strategies will help get affordable housing built. I, I feel like relying on loans carries a risk for the city in that they might not get paid back. And if, if they issue too many of them, that could be a real problem. Sure. You know, I think just to start with, it's really important to broaden the context of, of what this process is about. Um, a piece of it is about identifying locations for a lot of housing, a lot of affordable housing, and figuring out how you're going to get it built. But the housing element is really intended to respond comprehensively to the housing needs and constraints on housing stability in the community. And so, frankly, more work has been done in San Jose to talk about different policies and programs that can be implemented to prevent displacement, to expand 
homeownership opportunities than there has been to talk about the constraints on housing development and affordable housing development. So I just, for context, it's really important to, to appreciate the scope of, of what, what's on the table. In terms of the specific subsidizing of, of affordable housing, the bottom line is you need to have resources. And if you don't have them locally, you need to get them at another level, whether it's state or federal. And across the board, if we don't have local money to leverage and match other resources to come in, that's what's going to constrain our production of affordable housing. And we're, we're recognizing now that we're just just as great a risk of losing critical affordable housing resources that currently exists in the private market. And so we're actually needing additional resources um, to preserve housing in our communities, to create different types of ways of stabilizing the, uh, the housing options that are available to very low and extremely low income people in the city. The risk of giving the loans is, is really not so much the problem. The challenge is can, can these loans be targeted in a way that they leverage the additional public money from the state and federal level? Um, and this is an ongoing challenge. The, the goal of targeting some slightly higher city, city loans in some parts of the city um, is, is really an incremental incentive rather than a game changer. And the goals and the priorities that the city has this time around are really a reflection of state law, which says you have to be proactive about creating housing opportunities in communities that have traditionally been closed off from affordable housing and have, have created barriers to deny access for people who don't have the resources to buy into those communities. And so in an effort to build in some new places, one of the strategies the city has is to, to slightly increase the, uh, the city subsidy for those projects. Do I think it's going to make the difference? If we don't have a lot of money and if we're not serious about zoning in a way that creates housing opportunities in those communities and the city doesn't stand behind projects, even if you know the, the neighbors don't want to see it in their backyard, it's not going to I think a lot of the programs, uh, including the ones you mentioned in the housing element, are worthwhile and they will make improvements. And uh, uh, just to maybe correct a, an impression I gave earlier, I don't think the, even though I think basically it's, it's used by the government to, uh, to, for, for appearances, I think there's still an important uh, role for advocates and the public to play and participating in the process. And any public discussion of the affordable housing crisis is good because it brings out the problem and brings out uh, different ideas and gets people thinking about it. And that's uh, without that, uh, no change is going to happen. So I definitely support the process. I certainly support the work of uh, San Jose Housing Department staff, which has put a tremendous amount of work into developing these proposals. However, uh, almost all of them are very incremental. They're very small. I remember I was in a discussion at the Board of Supervisors where George, uh, Supervisor Simidian said, 
the problem that we're having with homelessness is that the problem is in the thousands and all the solutions that are being discussed are in the hundreds. And we have really the same problem when it comes to affordable housing. Uh, the basic problem is that the city council and the political establishment, they're protecting billionaire real estate developers, tech corporations, most of whom are now also real estate developers, uh, and investors. And they're allowing tenants and unhoused people to be displaced, to become homeless, uh, and to suffer. I, I just met a tenant the other day who has cancer. She... Uh, She's in danger of being evicted now. Her, her apartment isn't any good anyway. It has roof leaks. The heater doesn't work. But now she's in danger of being evicted because she can't work temporarily because she went through chemo treatments. She is back at work now, but she doesn't have money for rent for August. So she's still trying to figure out how to get that. I mean, why do we put ourselves, why do we put our people through this kind of misery? There's just no excuse for it. Uh, this is the richest place in the entire in the entire world, and we have people uh, suffering from this kind of misery. It's not right, and uh, I think the how, uh, the solutions are they're fine as far as they go. They just don't go far enough. We're going to take a short break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hello, Josh Bruce here, co-founder of San Jose Spotlight. Did you know that San Jose Spotlight is Silicon Valley's only nonprofit news organization? That's right. Our impact journalism is funded by generous readers like you. And this year, we have plans to expand our reporting to other cities in Santa Clara County. If you find value in our reporting, consider becoming a sustaining member today with a monthly or annual recurring donation by visiting our website, sanjosespotlight.com. Thank you. The summer splash party is still going strong at Gilroy Gardens. Come chill out at Water Oasis with twisty water slides and a giant tipping bucket, plus gentle flower showers and a peaceful lagoon for younger kids. Parents can join in the super splashy fun or just relax under a palm tree while you watch the kids play. Get discount tickets and season memberships at gilroygardens.org and make memories that will last a lifetime. Part of the city's approach... Um, with planning housing is also looking at designated areas, focusing on building around um, locations like Deeradon Station and the upcoming Google Downtown West project, which is in the Deeradon area. There's also the city's urban village plan, constructing commercial and residential uses in the same place. Um, some examples of that are Alum Rock East Urban Village, as well as uh, the urban village plan at the flea market site, Berryessa Flea Market, as well as Cambrian Park Plaza. I I'd like to know how this strategy is different from where housing has been focused in the past. It seems like there's more of a concerted effort on this kind of mixed use development. What, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, Sandy, if you wanna go first. Well, it's actually not new because this is part of the 2040 general plan, the whole urban village strategy. And uh, But there are problems with it. And some of it came up recently in some of the discussions around, uh, I forget what we call it, where uh, we have a, a opportunity zoning, I think we were calling it. Oh, opportunity housing, to, right. Yeah, we wanted to allow uh, um, more housing to be constructed in what are now single family areas. And some people push back and said, no, do it all in the urban villages areas. But the problem with the urban village areas, if you concentrate your development there, the urban village areas, at least a lot of them are right now where uh, most of the low income people in San Jose already live along transit lines. And uh, so in the past, I've opposed uh, bills like, uh, I think it was called uh, SB, 
829 or 827 and SB 50, there were bills to facilitate more construction uh, around transit areas because the, the result of those is that a lot of people, a lot of uh, old apartment buildings would have been torn down. People would have been displaced, lost their homes, uh, have to move to Modesto or Merced, have to commute two to four hours a day to get to get to work or become homeless. And so I have a lot of problems with the urban village strategy. And I think uh, it's uh, more more fair, certainly, to spread uh, housing around the area. Uh, and certainly the areas which have the least density now, you talk about parts of Willow Glen, parts of Almaden Valley, uh, to protect them as some kind of enclaves where people have uh, privileged uh, uh, estates or whatever you want to call them, uh, that's that's unjust and unfair. It's 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 uh, just uh, it's kind of being promoted in San Jose by what I call the the, the white privilege caucus on our city council that they want to protect what they have and uh, organize the people in those areas to protect what they have against uh, ordinary people who who uh, need a place to live. Um, yes, Sandy is correct. This is, this is an established uh, approach. Um, it's not new to, to this cycle. Um, I think Sandy and I would agree that if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna move forward, we have to confront the fact that we are an, an urbanizing community. And that means we have to have the, the, the willingness to take on the challenge of building more higher density housing in places that make sense and figuring out how to do so in a way that doesn't displace people. And I think we're, we, you know, are going to be in lockstep on that. We might have different ideas about exactly how risky different strategies are, but I think that's a shared goal. Um, and I, I don't think we can afford not to succeed uh, in addressing that. Um, the, the housing element does not uh, open the doors to single-family neighborhoods throughout the city. What it does do, however, is it does put significantly more emphasis on commercial and transit corridors in parts of the city that have historically not seen housing development and, and really not seen affordable housing development. And it's been very explicit in responding to the state requirement that it do so, that it is identifying sites and locations for affordable housing development in just the kinds of communities that Sandy was talking about that traditionally have, have been, you know, able to defend themselves with the, the political support that they get and the resources that they have in those communities. Um, the city is having to open up and rezone areas that are currently zoned commercial to make space for that housing. They're having to do that zoning at density levels that will be very, very different uh, than what folks are used to. Um, you know, is it going to transform the world? We don't know. Uh, what I'm seeing, though, is a different kind of language, uh, tools that we did not have in the past, a whole series of 
you know, pieces of this housing element update that are reinforcing the reality that we need to build affordable housing and we need to build market more market rate housing in areas that have traditionally been resistant. So downtown is going to happen, you know, around the BART stations, there's going to be more housing. Um, but there is also a real emphasis on areas that have traditionally been resistant with the idea that people deserve choice, right? That it, it, we do need to continue to provide housing for vulnerable parts of the city where the needs are incredible and the, the value, the asset that an affordable opportunity in, in an existing community would offer to folks. We also need to provide choices for folks to be in other places. And this round, the, the question of fair housing is no longer just stopping discrimination. It is being accountable to affirmatively create choices and opportunities in places that have previously been exclusive. And that is a state law. Uh, and you know, we feel like the city is is taking steps in that direction, and that 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 potentially is very valuable. Mm, thank you for that, Matthew. And to that point, um, there is also an emphasis on fair housing uh, to protect against discrimination when it comes to buying a home in this uh, housing element. It's probably also part of the twenty forty general plan. Um, I see that more low income housing is being planned in wealthier parts of the city, such as West San Jose, Evergreen, Almaden. And as I mentioned earlier, the city is actually planning to give more generous loans to developers who build affordable housing in these areas of the city. It it seems to me like San Jose is trying to address the historic redlining in the city that it's obviously not unique to San Jose. It's happened nationwide. But I wonder if developers will be enticed to build in these more expensive areas because they could get a loan. What, What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Again, uh, I think all of these uh, programs to, as you say, entice developers to build in uh, uh, areas in, I guess there's a word for it, they call it uh, high opportunity areas or something like that. I think those are a good thing and uh, need to be followed. I don't think they're adequate. And uh, if you're improving uh, opportunities for a small number of people of color in San Jose, while tens of thousands of people of color are being forced out of the city altogether, uh, that's not really helpful. I mean, you know, I'm in, I'm for it, I'm for it, but it's not addressing the real problem. And uh, mm, thank you. What about you, Matthew? Any other thoughts? I know you were t- talking about fair housing earlier. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, Sandy is right, and um, Supervisor Smithian is right. Um, the, the scale of the challenges that we face and the hardship that, that we're, that, that really specific communities are experiencing in San Jose and around the county. Um, first of all, it's not an accident and it's not surprising that this is, this is impacting communities of color that, that have lower income workers. Um, is a very difficult place to not be pretty, pretty well off. <laughs> and so the, the hardships are tremendous. And I, I agree, the tools are not up to the task. Here's how we're thinking about it. And I've, I've had the, 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 um, the honor of working with Sandy on some of these issues over, over the last couple of months is that this is a moment to reflect on what tools we could bring to this problem that we know 
are not going to change, solve the problem overnight. They, they are, they're not going to be transformative, but, but together collectively, we can do a better job than we're doing. And so we've been bringing ideas that have come out of community discussion to the city and saying, Hey, it would help if we had a, uh, a way of, of legitimating uh, tenants associations and tenant unions in the city to be actively a part of the code enforcement process. Is that going to change the world? No. Is it a really important step in empowering tenants and communities to be actively engaged in making sure that the housing is habitable and stable? Yeah. Is it something we've been talking about for decades? <laughs> Sandy? Yeah. Well, guess what? It's on the table and it's in the document. And the city said, oh, this is a great idea. Thank you for participating in this process. And so, you know, incrementally, the pieces that we've been talking about for years, whether they're streamlining parts of the development process where they're, you know, having targeted uh, programs to address displacement issues, they are not going to stop they are not going to fix all of the challenges. They are not going to stop the slide, but they are tools for us to do better than we are doing. And we've been sort of struggling and fighting to get them on the table for a long time. And so I'm feeling optimistic that we are making progress. And I'm also, you know, uh, humbled by the reality that, that Sandy is correct. And we have a, a tremendous more that we can do. But I think there are really impactful things that can come out of this. So one, you know, one of the ideas that came out of these community discussions, Sandy, was that we have, what is it, 15 or 20,000 households who live in duplexes, rentals in the city. And right now that they have no protection uh, from rent increases that cover other multifamily housing. This has been an issue that's been ongoing for a long time. There's, there are, you know, tens of thousands of people who are renting single family homes who are uniquely vulnerable because they are not protected by the, the, the laws and protections that cover other people. These are coming back to, to the discussion. Um, they're, they're being brought back on the table. The city is integrating them into this document. It's still going to take a tremendous amount of work. Uh, I see Sandy smiling and saying, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, but it, it, it is opening discussions that have been hard to keep open. And that's really important. On the affordable housing side, it is acknowledging that there are pieces that we can do to make improvements and money is absolutely essential. And it recognizes that. Right, it doesn't have the mad silver bullet, but it acknowledges that resources are critical. But it also says that there are incremental steps that we can make. We can make more land available. We can zone it in a way that makes it developable for affordable housing. We can take jobs land that's been sitting vacant in North San Jose, and we can make it available for affordable housing development, so that that community doesn't become another exclusive community. It's available only to the richest folks in our community. And that as it grows, it grows as a place that has opportunities for everybody. So there are some really important steps here, but it's it's just a piece of paper until we make it real. And so the commitment collectively as a city, as community, as advocates around these issues, as folks like yourself who are serving public interests and making sure people are informed 
of things that are happening in the city is going to be this next step of how do we get it in writing and then how do we follow through to make sure that we, we really take advantage of this process that we've gone through. I'd like to piggyback a little bit on what Matthew said, and that's about the role of tenant empowerment. I think that's going to be absolutely essential to actually making any kind of change. It's nice to get things in a document, but if you don't have an organized group of people who are directly impacted by these policy decisions, advocating for them and fighting for them, uh, they're going to be pretty meaningless. So the tenant empowerment piece, uh, organizing tenant associations everywhere, all across San Jose, who can advocate for themselves, not only uh, around management of where they live and of their apartment complexes, but also around city policies and, and even state and other policies, uh, that's going to be the key to uh, whether we succeed or not, whether even the positive positive aspects and the positive ideas that we can put into the housing element, they will become real if we have an organized group of people that fights for them. And if we don't, unfortunately, uh, they'll be some of the ones that are get left by the side of the road. So I think that's a key for all advocates, for all uh, concerned people, uh, allowing, facilitating uh, that organization empowerment of tenants is going to be key. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To be an entrepreneur, you have to have vision, confidence, and purpose. And like so many other business owners, you have to find resources that can help you through tough times. Comcast Rise changed my life. They put me in a unique space where I could scale on my own. More than 4,700 businesses have benefited from the Comcast Rise program. Apply today at ComcastRise.com for a variety of business, marketing, and tech makeovers on us. Keep rising. Looking for a design agency that can take your brand to the next level? Design in Mind is a woman-led design agency that specializes in branding mid-sized companies, startups, and even nonprofits. Reach out to discover how a better brand can help move your business forward and book a consultation at designim.com. Just a couple more questions here. And Matthew, you touched on this a little bit. Speeding up the development process. That's also another uh, area of focus the city is looking at, specifically speeding up the permitting process. Uh, in this housing element that exists already, uh, it states that over the last seven years, the time between approval of a housing development application and actually getting the building permit can be between one month to roughly three and a half years. Uh, the city's looking at a couple ways to deal with this. They say there are two new state laws uh, that's, uh, sorry, one sec, that's SB 35 and AB 2162. They say that these will help developers bypass things like environmental review or public hearings if they include a certain amount of affordable housing. So I'm sure this is very determinant on the project, but I'd like to know your thoughts on this strategy because using a, a state law like something that would bypass the environmental review process seems antithetical to the city's goal to be carbon neutral and to really put more thought into how the environment is impacted. Uh, Sa Sandy, let's start with you. What are your, what are your thoughts on how this uh, permit process might be streamlined? Uh, well, I think uh, Matthew probably has more detail on that than I do. Um, I think one of the questions, the whole debate around permitting, streamlining, and um, even zoning as strategies for increasing affordable housing is somewhat beside the point. And the reason I think it's beside the point is that the way uh, the housing development business works in San Jose and in America 
is that uh, the developers calculate, uh, they've got, uh, they call it a pro forma, they work out uh, what rents they can expect, uh, what they can't, and then they make decisions as to which projects are going to go forward or not. So if we actually begin to have success in increasing housing supply and rents begin to come down or probably level off, uh, the developers stop building. They just stop building. They basically go on strike. They say rents aren't high enough, so we're not going to build anymore. And I've seen, I've been to city council. The mayor talks about it all the time. We have to get shovels in the ground. And if the projects don't pencil out, they're not going to put shovels in the ground. So they're not going to build unless they can get their 10 or 20% profit or whatever. And so our view at Affordable Housing Network, I'm also part of South Bay Community Land Trust. I'm on their board. Our view is that the system is broken, that the system of private development of housing is not working. And if you don't believe it, go walk down the street in San Jose and see the people that are living uh, on the sidewalk. This is it's it's completely broken. So we need to it, uh, come up with new ideas. I know there's uh, ideas at the state level about social housing. Uh, we had presidential candidates in 2020 who are calling for huge amounts of public housing. I know Bernie Sanders called for two and a half trillion dollars building 10 million units of affordable housing. Those are the kinds of changes that we need. And there's no reason we can't do them, but we have to fight for them. And of course, those of us uh, ordinary citizens like the three of us in this room, yes, we, we have to fight for them, but we it would be good if a few city council members and some political leaders and some influential people would also fight for them instead of always saying, well, there's nothing we can do. Rents are going to go up. We have to do what Google wants. We have to do what a, a, a Adobe wants. Uh, and uh, nothing changes and the crisis gets worse and worse and worse. So we need a fundamental change in our housing system. I know at the Community Land Trust, uh, the model that we look to is called uh, decommodifying housing. In other words, taking housing off the speculative market and making it permanently affordable, have it be owned by a community nonprofit or a cooperative. And so that it's not, uh, and, and people can even own their own homes under that situation. They just couldn't sell them for a million and a half dollars uh, when they moved out. They could own their own homes, live there forever, even pass it on to their kids but they wouldn't make a huge profit. In other words, treat housing as what it's supposed to be. I, I think uh, most affordable housing advocates believe that housing is a human right. And for housing to be a human right, it means it has to be uh, something that people can access with their incomes. I know the traditional standard in America has been 30% of your income. And in San Jose, that's a joke where most, most renters pay half their income or more. So, um, we need to have uh, this kind of discussion. Uh, one thing that is good in the, uh, in the uh, housing element is that they're talking about some innovative programs like COPA, Community Opportunity to Purchase Act, which unfortunately has been postponed until next year by the current city council. But nevertheless, it's, it's an innovative program and it's a program that would empower tenants to be able to participate in purchasing properties uh, and keeping them permanently affordable forever instead of uh, just having properties be sold to the highest bidder. And as we know, there's a lot of uh, cash bidders that are coming around now buying up housing uh, in order 
for speculative purposes. And part of the the result of that is that rents are just skyrocketing all around the country. There used to be a time people would say, well, if you can't afford to San Jose, if you can't afford to live in San Jose, move to Arizona. Well, rents have gone up 20% in Phoenix or Florida, rents have gone up 40%. It's completely insane. Our system is not working. Human beings can't live like this. So that's the kind of change uh, that we need, and I forget what the question was. But <laughs> it, it was about the permitting process, the stream, okay, the streamlining got, of this permitting I got process. To go on my for a minute. <laughs> let me let me jump in, and then I can come back to the permitting process because I I think it's both important and less consequential than Sandy's comment. Um, I think what Sandy just articulated to you is a perfect example of uh, the the moment we're in and frankly the potential of this moment to broaden the discussion is that the, the range of needs is complex, the, the range of solutions needs to be sophisticated. And what Sandy's describing to you is this recognition that man, the way we've been doing things is is not responding to the, the complexity of the needs or the opportunities in our communities and that we need to be open to different models. These aren't like radical new ideas. I mean, Sandy, I appreciate the energy, but it's not like these are new ideas. This is stuff that's been functioning for, for centuries, frankly, as we had different ways of, of working in community together and have been functioning as housing options around the country. We just don't have that happening down here. And I think that's a really important discussion. And this is a perfect opportunity to say, it's not going to change the world overnight, but we have to commit in the long term to expanding the range of options that we have and empowering communities is a critical part of that puzzle that, frankly, we have not done a good job of doing uh, to this point. So like SV at Home wants to, to build at scale, but we're also incredibly supportive of the reality that we need alternative community, more community-based and community-grounded uh, options um, that really will expand, again, choices that we have. Let me go back to the permitting question. <laughs> the the um, two things. One is these, as Sandy said, these are, are changes at the margins. The, the permitting process that, that they focus the most on is this challenge at the last stage when you're getting your final building permits. And it's unpredictable, very complicated. There's a lot of different offices and people who have to sign off on this and that. And it can really slow down affordable developments. And so the intent is to figure out how to make that process more efficient so that you know, everybody is in the six-month window rather than getting lost in the three-year window, right? Um, the streamlining legislation that you were talking about, it's really not about not being environmentally accountable. It's about taking out a very complicated process called the California Environmental Quality Act and Environmental Impact Review. But that has as much to do with saying that this project is not going to have an impact on traffic uh, as it does on, on, you know, our commitments to greenhouse gas reduction. And so it's important not to confuse those when we talk about, you know, stripping that process out. It's not because we hate 
the world or we're going to go back on our commitment to environmental quality. It's to acknowledge that this is a cumbersome process that often results in very little insight and uh, that we can go forward. I would just put in that in context. We do the same documents at at the city level. We do them when we plan areas, and there's no reason that every single project has to have its own version of that same analysis. Uh, why would you want to streamline housing production? The truth is that we, as a, as a region, have just been obstinate. We have stood in the way of doing what we need to do to respond to the challenges that we face as a community. We have over and over and over said, oh yeah, this is a problem, but I'm hoping somebody else will deal with it because I don't want it in my neighborhood. Um, I don't want it in my community, right? It's something that we should put in kind of bad parts of town where we happen to have really awesome bus routes. And this is what Sandy was talking about. And there's just been such a history of that kind of resistance, both from city government from neighborhood and community to doing what we need to do to respond to the crisis that we're in, that the state has said, look, we're going to give you some tools to try to make this process rational, grounded in a common sense recognition of both wanting to be accountable for what we're doing, but also acknowledging that we have to have to do a better job of building more than we are. And so, yeah. It's opening up doors. San Jose, I think, is struggling a little bit. It's cumbersome. It's new. But unlike some cities in the county, they're not fighting, right? There are some cities that are actively fighting these new state rules. We're not seeing that. It's just still a challenge to figure out exactly how to make them efficient. Housing gets built or not, as Sandy kind of said, on the margins, the good thing about affordable housing is that it's not, it, you know, it is decommodifying land and having them affordable and in nonprofit or government control. Even there, though, the difference, you know, between, you know, two or three percent difference in costs can allow you to do different things. And so even though these are incremental changes, the changes, the impact is actually at those margins that we're nibbling away at. So it's not transformative, but it may actually have a more significant impact than we think. Mm, thank you for that. I think that's a good place to stop. Matthew Reed with SV at Home, Sandy Perry of the Affordable Housing Network of Santa Clara County. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. I'm editor Nick Preciado. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.